Good morning, Missio Church. It's good to see all of your faces. It's great to be able to gather as God's people and worship our King this morning. We are um, continuing along in our Advent series here, and I would encourage you, uh, Songs of the Season, where we're working through these songs that Luke records for us. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Luke chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 67 through 79 this morning. Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 67, continuing through verse 79. This is God's word. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord, God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. If you would, let's just bow our heads and ask God's blessing on his word. Father, we do come to you in the name of your Son, your beloved Son, Jesus, and we ask now that as we meditate on your words from Luke 1, that um, you, by your Spirit, would work in us, speak to us, and um, change us, affect us. Let us see your, your goodness, your mercy, and may our hearts rejoice. And so now, Father, may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of our heart be pleasing and acceptable to you. We pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, I'm sure there are many traditions and celebrations that uh, maybe you individually or as a family cherish Uh, There are so many wonderful, familiar celebrations at this time of year. The lights, the songs, um, the the movies, uh, it's all just wonderful. And um, for most of us, uh, we just pick right back up here in November and December with these things. But how some people celebrate Christmas is just puzzling. I don't know if you've ever looked at the different ways that people around the world celebrate Christmas. For instance, in Venezuela, uh, Christmas morning, uh, the people wake up and they lace on their roller skates. 
and they roller skate off to church. It's what they do. It's how they celebrate Christmas. If you're in Japan, I'm told their residents celebrate Christmas by having KFC. You heard me, Kentucky Fried Chicken. Uh, it's actually so popular that reservations for this one particular, they call it the Christmas party bear, barrel, reservations for that are, are being taken all the way back in the month of October so that on Christmas Day, uh, these residents can actually get a taste of KFC. They need some Chick-fil-A in their life, I think. Nevertheless, it's, it's puzzling. I, I didn't really look as to like, why they do these things. It's, just, it's unexplainable in my mind why you would roller skate or have KFC on Christmas Day. And, and I feel a similar sort of uh, disorientation or bewilderment, uh, a similar sort of puzzling feeling as I read Zachariah's song. And I, I think if we're reading it honestly, most of us should feel that kind of like KFC kind of moment as we read the end of Luke 1. And I'll explain why I think we should initially at least feel that way. Let me give you some context for this song. In verse 5 of this chapter, very early on, if you want to look at it with me, I just want to give you some background for why Zechariah is singing this song. It says this in verse 5, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, so we're immediately introduced to this, this guy. He's of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God walking blamelessly in all his commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. So here's the story. Uh, Elizabeth, really, really old. Elizabeth, not able, Zachariah and Elizabeth, not able to have babies for whatever reason. And but, and so apparently Zechariah and Elizabeth have been praying throughout the years. Uh, at some point, Lord, give us a baby. But now they're really old. And, I mean, they're just not going to have a baby. Um, but while Zechariah is doing his job, he's a priest. While Zechariah is ministering in the temple, the Lord responds to his prayer. Look at verse 13 with me. Sends an angel, and an angel says, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. For your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. So after all these years, after all this disappointment, God has just promised Zechariah a son. Uh, and Zechariah, I think, like most of us, uh, responds with this in verse 18. Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, 
You will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. So Zechariah asks this question in complete unbelief. How, like, how can this be? We're old. It's, it's not going to happen. And so uh, the Lord, because of his unbelief, takes away his ability to speak. And he returns home to his hometown from his temple service. And it was after these things, he's unable to speak, in verse 24, tells us Elizabeth conceived. Right? So now, for the next nine months, assuming Elizabeth went full term, for the next nine months, all throughout the pregnancy, Zechariah couldn't speak until, until John was born, and he signaled that his name would be called John. And at that point, because of, uh, because of this acknowledgement, and it's, it's an acknowledgement of trust in God, his tongue was loosed. So that's the story that leads up to this, this song of, of Zechariah. So let's, let's take stock of this song in light of what's just taken place. Like Luke has just gone to great lengths. We could have read a lot more to tell us the story. Zechariah has just had a baby against all odds. Like, nobody would think they're ever going to have a baby. This old elderly couple, who knows how old they are, but they are well past their years. They're having a baby. And Zechariah has just gotten his voice back after more than nine months of not being able to mumble a word. Like some of us might think it would be great to go like a day or maybe a weekend without having to talk to anybody, but, but living more than nine months of your life without being able to communicate what you need or what you desire, wow! And yet, Zechariah's first words celebrate neither of these things. What? What? Zechariah, I think you're missing something here. You just had a baby. You're an old dude, and you didn't speak for nine months, and yet you are celebrating something entirely different. He does mention his son in this song, but it's only in passing and only in reference to what he really wants to celebrate. Zechariah's uh, seemingly puzzling thoughts are preoccupied with something even greater than this miraculous healing he's just experienced and this miraculous baby he was just gifted. He was preoccupied with the birth of somebody else, the sending of God's salvation, the coming of Christ. He's just had a baby. He's just been able to speak for the first time in almost 10 months, and he's going to celebrate with his words the coming of God's salvation, Jesus Christ. And so I think Zachariah's celebration, his song is instructive for us because this event, the coming of Christ, Christmas, far surpasses other 
perhaps worthy things in which we do and can find joy. Zechariah's song shows us why we can celebrate Christmas and find joy in 2020. Yes, 2020. We can celebrate Christmas even as COVID dominates our thoughts. We can uh, find joy in Christmas even as loneliness plagues us. We can, we can celebrate the birth of Christ while our jobs may, may seriously be in question and hang in the balance. We can celebrate and find joy in Christmas while our health may be threatened, while our relationships may be on the rocks, while finances may be scarce, while regrets for life's foolish and destructive choices burden us. We can find joy and we can celebrate Christmas. So why? Why is Christmas something so uh, to be celebrated and, and sung about? Let's look at the song. Uh, I, the first thing I'd like to say is we celebrate Christmas because God has visited his people. Look at the, the first verse of the, uh, verse 68 with me. Zechariah says, blessed be the Lord, God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has visited his people. Zechariah is giving God praise because the Lord, the King of all kings, the God who sits enthroned in heaven, stooped down and visited his people. He moved into the neighborhood. And it wasn't a pretty neighborhood. It was a rundown place, a, a place marked by hopelessness, a place filled with corrupt people doing horrible things. God visited, God moved into this neighborhood. And, and let's be clear, God was under no obligation to, to come down and, and fix the world. God's under no obligation to clean up our mess and save us. Men and women defied him. Men and women rebelled against him. He wasn't responsible for, for cleaning up their mess, and yet he came. Jesus, though truly God, became truly man. He visited his people. And it wasn't one of those, um, you know, those presidential visits that we've, we've seen for decades and decades where, you know, after the hurricane, um, the president flies in on Air Force One and, and the governor or mayor will meet him there and tour and they'll walk around for an hour uh, through this just uh, torn up place and, you know, the president looks and then uh, an hour later the president is back on Air Force One on to his next appointment. No, Jesus came and dwelled among us, experiencing our pains, facing our temptations. Zechariah celebrates Christmas. We can celebrate Christmas because God has visited his people. And that word visited doesn't just mean like nearness. It, it does, uh, you know, talk about proximity, but it also talks about a posture in the sense of showing compassion. 
James uses it this way in his letter. Remember he says, true religion and undefiled is, is this, to visit the orphans and widows in their affliction. Here's, here's what James is not saying. Hey guys, why don't you go find some destitute, suffering women and children and give them a little howdy and then go on your merry way. James isn't talking about nearness and proximity. He's talking about actually showing compassion, visiting them in their affliction, showing compassion, meeting their needs. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has visited his people with compassion. We celebrate Christmas because God has visited his people demonstrating compassion. But what compassion did God demonstrate? That's the next reason we celebrate Christmas. We celebrate Christmas because God has visited and redeemed his people. Again, look at verse 68 with me. I want us to hear it. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. To redeem something is to pay a price, to to buy back or to free something or someone from captivity. That's what it means to redeem something. So God visited his people to deliver them from captivity, from bondage, from imprisonment, from oppression. And so before we can celebrate Christmas and Christ as as redemption, as redeemer, in any meaningful way. Friend, you and I have to come to terms with the fact that on our own we are enslaved and in bondage to sin. Verse 79 describes this plight a little bit for us. It says, it describes those outside of Christ as those who sit in darkness, in the the shadow of death. I'm not okay. You're not okay. We're not okay. We need to be rescued. And yet, some of us sitting here may have a a spiritual Stockholm Syndrome. You've heard of of Stockholm Syndrome where this, this odd psychological response where somebody who is a hostage develops feelings of of alignment and compassion and even love for their captors, those holding them hostage, right? And some of us are quite content in our sin and in our rebellion against God. We love it. So because we love our sin, because we fail to see our need for rescue, Christmas is like, what? Do I really need rescue? Do I really really need to be visited and redeemed? But this is is foolish and and, and deadly, friend. Despite your feelings, despite your, your affections, your love, your desires, you and I, we've violated God's law. And we are subject to the curse or the penalty for breaking God's law. That is, eternal torment away from God's loving, kind presence. And so what Zechariah celebrates is that God visited to pay the price 
so we don't have to endure that, so that we can be freed from that, so that we can be liberated, so that we're no longer captives, so that we're no longer hostages to sin and to the curse of the law. He came to redeem us from the curse of the law. That's why we celebrate Christmas. How did this rescue happen? And that's the next reason Zechariah gives that we can find joy this Christmas season. We celebrate Christmas because God has visited and redeemed his people in Christ. Look at verse 68 again with me. For he has looked, uh, I'm sorry, um, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And then the following verse, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. Now, like most of this song, this verse is not referencing Zechariah's son, John. How do we know that? Well, Zechariah is a priest. How do you get to be a priest? Well, you're born in a certain tribe, the tribe of Levi. You are not born in the house of David if you're going to be a priest. Jesus was born in the house of David. And Christ is also referenced in verse 78 as the sunrise who shall visit us from on high. And that's a reference going back to the Old Testament, Malachi. Malachi talks about the, the sun that shall rise with healing in its wings. And the idea is that Christ illuminates the way to the Father so that we need not stumble and wander in darkness to our demise. That salvation, that redemption, that liberation that we just talked about, that comes in and from Christ alone. He's the price the Father paid to deliver us from our captivity to sin and its curse. There is salvation, there is redemption, there is liberation in no one and nothing else. Salvation is not equally attained by all religious expressions. Redemption is in Christ alone. Salvation is not attained by by our efforts or the the most sincerest of, of religious devotions. Salvation is in Christ alone. Salvation is not gotten by our efforts. 1 John 5 tells us this, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God, whoever does not have Jesus, you don't have life. No matter what else you're doing to worship or obey, or if you don't have the Son, you don't have life. Salvation is in Christ alone. And so this is the good news. The Father doesn't look at you and me in determining whether we'll be saved. The Father looks at his Son. Salvation is in Christ alone. And that is something to find joy in. But what did Christ do to secure this redemption, this liberation, this salvation? Yet another reason to celebrate Christmas. We celebrate Christmas because God has redeemed his people by the forgiveness of sin. Look at verse 77 with me. 
Back up to verse 76. Zechariah is actually talking about his son here for just a moment. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. How are we saved? By the forgiveness of sin. Your problem and my problem, friend, is sin. Our greatest problem is not our health situation. Our greatest problem is not our social or political challenges, our financial struggles, our our relational uh, mess and baggage that we carry around. Our greatest problem, and the root cause of all these other things, is sin. Sin is any transgression of God's law. It's, it's doing what we want instead of what God has commanded. It's a, it's a refusal to acknowledge who he is. It's a rejection of his authority. It's high-handed treason against the rightful king of kings. And sin puts us at odd with this king, at, at odds with this king. Sin earns death. Scripture tells us the wages of sin, like you actually earn it, this is your paycheck, is death. And the prophet, prophet John, just an infant, just eight days old at this point, would spend his life proclaiming salvation in the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. Our sins are forgiven because they were credited, they were accounted to, or if you think about it, transferred to Jesus, even though he lived a a perfect, sinless, blameless life. Jesus took our sin, or as Paul put it in 2 Corinthians 5, Jesus became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus took our sin as he hung upon the cross that that. Those who trust in him might be forgiven. We celebrate Christmas because Christmas is the announces, Christmas announces the forgiveness of sin for those who trust in Christ. Friend, you need God's forgiveness. You need that. So look to him and trust this morning. But just in case we are tempted to think that, you know, we might have some part in this rescue, in this salvation effort. Zechariah highlights another reason we can celebrate Christmas. We celebrate Christmas because God has redeemed his people on the basis of his mercy alone. Two times he, he says this. Look at verse 72 with me. He sent Jesus to show the mercy promised to our fathers. To show the mercy. And then look at verses 77 and 78. Again, John would preach to give the knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of, how are we forgiven our sins? Because of the tender mercy of our God. Friend, this is such good news because Christmas, Christianity, is not a message of of effort of pull up your bootstraps, work really hard, atone for your deeds, try harder, approximate some measure of goodness, some, meet some moral standard, jump through the hoops, be good enough. The message of 
Christmas, the truth of Christianity is that we are saved on the basis of God's mercy alone. Mercy, it's the goodness of God shown to those in, in misery, in distress, regardless of what they deserve, probably deserving quite the opposite. It's a pity and compassion for those who, who can do nothing for themselves. It's a kindness for those who are trapped. And there's no better news because not only are you and I unwilling to meet God's standards, we are unable. So God, in his mercy, has saved us in Christ. And he's made that known at Christmas. We celebrate Christmas because God has visited and redeemed his people in the person of Christ on the basis of his mercy, by the forgiveness of our sin. But you may think, that, that's just too neat and clean. That sounds too easy. Pastor, you're not aware of, of my stuff. You're not aware of my issues. You don't know what, what I think about. You don't know what I've done. Friend, brother and sister, Christmas wasn't a last-ditched effort to, to fix the world. Most of us have heard of uh, the uh, Apollo 13 NASA mission, right? Apollo 13, where it was, it was supposed to be a lunar mission. They were supposed to go do some um, studies on the moon, but it quickly became anything but that. It just quickly became a rescue mission. How do we get the people trapped in that uh, space vessel back down to earth alive. That became the mission because um, an oxygen tank exploded, right? Remember the words, Houston, we've had a problem, right? And nobody had any idea how to get these people back down to earth. And so engineers came up with this uh, this last-minute plan where the, the astronauts were ripping covers off of manuals using duct tape uh, tubes and rigging up anything they could to, to fix the problem, to get them back to re-enter the earth. And some people conceive of Christmas as like a God ripping off the manuals using duct tape kind of mission. But we celebrate Christmas because God has redeemed his people in accordance with his plan from long ago. Look at Zechariah's spirit-prompted words in verses 72 and 73. He says that, that Christ came and visited his people to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. The Lord promised Abraham 2,000 years prior to Christ's arrival that through his offspring, through his kids, his great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandchild, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. They'd be saved. And the offspring came through David, who David mentions in verse 69. Remember the, the horn of salvation that he's raised up for us in the house of his servant David? Abraham's offspring that would bless the world would be David's son who would reign forever. This isn't 
some last minute fix it, rip off the manual covers, throw some duct tape on it kind of plan. You see, despite all the rebellion that God's people, if we were to read the Old Testament, all the rebellion and faithlessness of his people, in the face of all the threats to God's plan actually coming to fruition, in, time, in times when God's plan looked like it actually might need duct tape to hold together, God's plan never wavered. God had sworn an oath. He did not, would not, and could not turn back from his word to redeem his people. It would happen. And friend, his promise of salvation is just as sure today. Christmas promises salvation to all to those who look to Christ in faith. He's not intimidated by your past. He knows your thoughts, and he holds out salvation in the face of the skeletons in your closet. His determination is still as certain. Zechariah's song gives us one last reason to celebrate the birth of Christ. We find joy in Christmas because God has redeemed his people for lifelong worship and blessing. Look at verses 74 and 75. That we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. You and I, brother and sister, we were redeemed for worship. We were redeemed so that we might serve our king and our rescuer. You may think, how is service a blessing? Why am I finding joy in, in work? Well, think about it. Uh, a new president has been elected, and, and there's lots of cabinet appointments that will be made. And, and for some of these people, it's a lifelong dream. It's an honor to be called and appointed to such a duty, even though it's going to be like they're not going to see their family. They're going to work endless hours. We just had a, a new Supreme Court justice appointed, and she was appointed to gut-wrenching decisions and long days and arduous work. But what an honor. How much more the honor of serving the king of kings whose purposes will last forever. We were bought with a price, and we have the privilege of glorifying God with our bodies, with our lives, with our whole selves. But we also celebrate and find joy by embracing and enjoying his many blessings. Look at verse 79. Tells us that he saved us to guide our feet in the way of peace. Peace isn't merely the absence of, of troubles and hardship and difficulties. Peace is the presence of blessings. He's going to guide our feet in the way of peace, right? He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing to guide our feet in the way of peace. Friend, brother and sister, we celebrate Christmas because in accordance with his plan, God has visited with compassion and redeemed his people 
in the person of Christ, on the basis of his mercy alone, for the forgiveness of our sin. Christmas is good news because in Christ, God has provided salvation for his people. And so, as Zechariah saying, blessed be the Lord. God is worthy of our praise because in Christ, God has provided salvation for his people. Would you bow your head and pray with me? God, you are worthy of our praise. You have given us so many wonderful and good gifts to enjoy and for which to be thankful, but all of them pale in comparison to your gift, your gift of grace, your gift of mercy in the person of Christ Jesus. Thank you for visiting us in our affliction. Thank you for having compassion on us in our sin. Thank you for redeeming us. God, may you cause every one of us to recognize the greatness of who you are and what you've done. May you, by your Spirit, give us hearts that will trust and rest in Christ alone for salvation, for the forgiveness of our sin. And may you send us from this place with hearts full of joy, rejoicing in what you have done. I pray for those here who have not trusted in you prior to this day. I pray that they may put all their hope in you despite what lies in their past. May we, as your people, have the honor of worshiping, serving you all the days of our life. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen.